You are listening to Love, Maine Radio, hosted by Dr. Lisa Belisle and recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland. Dr. Lisa Belisle is a writer and physician who practices family medicine and acupuncture in Thompson. Show summaries are available at lovemainradio.com. Portland Art Gallery is proud to sponsor Love, Maine Radio. Portland Art Gallery is the city's largest and is located in the heart of the Old Port at 154 Middle Street. The gallery focuses on exhibiting the work of contemporary Maine artists and hosts a series of monthly solo shows in its newly expanded space, including Ingen Jorgensen, Brenda Sirioni, Daniel Corey, Jill Hoy, and Dave Allen. For complete show details, please visit our website at artcollectormain.com. Love, Maine Radio is also brought to you by Aristel, a lingerie boutique on Exchange Street in Portland's Old Port, where every body is seen as a work of art and beauty is celebrated from the inside out. Shop with us in person or online at aristel.com. Today it is my great pleasure to have with me June Lacombe and Bill Ginn. June Lacombe is an independent arts consultant specializing in New England sculpture. Her husband, Bill Ginn, is the executive vice president of the Nature Conservancy. He has also served as the former chief conservation officer of the Nature Conservancy. And uh, you have a couple of nice houses here in the state of Maine, surrounded by sculptures and also are really into things like solar power. So you're doing a lot of stuff. Thanks for coming in today. We're glad to be here. Thank you for having us. I almost don't know what to talk about first because what you do is so interesting to me. But I guess I'll get a little bit of background. Um, you, your house, your mainland house, is just up the coast a little ways, up in Pownall, I believe. How long have you been there? 40 years. Yep, I think that's just about right. We, uh, we met at Maine Audubon Society, um, and uh, June was the education director. I was the assistant director, and uh, we fell in love with this little country place that was melting into the ground, and we've spent 40 years trying to resurrect it. <laughs> and it's grown over the years. And we've, uh, we, I, I learned when I went back to a, um, a doctoral program and I was looking at environmental art and studying uh, art and, and nature, but I learned that there was a name for what Bill and I were doing 40 years ago. We were called Back to the Landers. We wanted to raise our food. We had sheep. I had, uh, um, and then we had small kids, and and we were living on the land. And you still have chickens and other fowl that I chickens, I'm, that peacocks, I'm remembering. Um, uh, big gardens. Um, sadly, we don't have big commercial farm anymore because we've been so busy with our. June's case, her her art career, and in my case, uh, my conservation work um, for the Nature Conservancy. So we've had to make some compromises, but we still love the land and um, and um, and eat as much as we can from it. <laughs> Where are you both originally from? Well, I'm from Ohio originally. Uh, my connection to Maine um, is that my father went to Bates College. Um, he um, was from uh, Delaware and he came during the war years to Bates and then went into the army and met my mother uh, who was from North Dakota and they came back to Bates. Um, uh, my mother put my father through Bates working at the Bates Woolen Mill in Lewiston and uh, then uh, my father got a job as a lawyer in Cleveland, Ohio and so my connection to Maine 
got broken then, but uh, but it's always been in the back of my mind. And when I had a chance to come back to Maine, I did. I grew up in Maine. Uh, I lived in North Yarmouth, where my father was the superintendent of schools in Cumberland and North Yarmouth. We had a ski cabin at Sugarloaf. We had a little house on a lake. We uh, had a, a boat in the harbor down in Yarmouth. We um, had horses and a farm, and my mother was always a gardener, even though she worked at the Maine Medical Center in the research department. And uh, we lived really the best life one could live in Maine. How did each of you come to believe in the importance of conservation? Well, I mean, for for me, it was a lifelong passion from, you know, a small child being out in the woods and seeing the impact of uh, development on places that I cared about. Um, and then um, I had the pleasure of coming to New England uh, to go to college. and. I heard about this uh, new environmental school in Maine called College of the Atlantic um, and never had a class before and I thought to myself, wow, I would really like to go back to Maine and study the environment. This was right at the beginning of Earth Day um, and there was a lot of energy around the environment and so I came to Maine and I was in the first graduating class of two at uh, the College of the Atlantic um, and so um, you know, in the end, I, um, and, and basically I've never left. Uh, it's been a great place to be. My father was a Maine guide. My mother uh, was always an environmental activist, and she was an organic gardener 50 and 60 years ago. And so she uh, was a, a model of an environmental and close to the land kind of living. And um, I went to school to study environmental education and I designed a, a program where I, I, inter I wove art and the environment together through my undergraduate uh, degree at the new college. And, uh, and then I continued, I have continued to look at the art and the environment. And I'm clearly uh, trying to uh, uh, you know, just carry on that belief that both are important. Not only do you have a yearly exhibition of sculptors at your, at your farm, um, but this year you also are working with Wells Reserve at Lodholm and bringing an outdoor exhibition um, that will actually run through October. Tell me about this, the importance of sculpture. Well, I've had shows throughout the state of Maine. I've had a, a, a number of shows at the Maine Audubon Society at Gilsland Farm, and I have, for the last 10 years, done the uh, sculpture shows at Coastal Maine Botanical Gardens, and I've had shows uh, at the College of the Atlantic. Uh, and so I, I do show sculpture at my home because I, I know the land well, and we've just opened a, a trail uh, where I'm able to not only show sculpture in situ in my gardens, in my home, but also through this woodland trail. So it's, um, it's a good place to show sculpture and it's a good place for me to be able to work with clients to help answer their questions. But um, the show at Loud Home is, uh, is uh, it, it, the place, first of all, is a, 
their byline is a place to discover. And it is, um, it was clear to me when I stepped out the door and started looking at um, their reserve that the title of the show should be called Power of Place. It was, uh, the, the surf was crashing in the background and there were, there were beautiful rolling fields and grand old historic farmhouses and barns. And it was really a delight to put a sculpture show together. And I really feel that sculpture can help uh, um, reveal the, the, the sense of place. And these artists that are working in New England have been inspired by the beauty and the, uh, of, and the power of the land and, um, and working with materials like granite and wood and marble. And, and the granite, of course, is the bedrock of Maine. And when you put a piece of granite on the landscape, there's something that, um, you know, that, I don't know, makes this connection, a powerful connection between the piece of artwork and the thoughtful um, sculpting of that artwork and the place where it sits. When I was at your farm, you were showing me where various things were placed, and this was a this was sort of in the off season. It wasn't at the high point where all the sculptures were there, but there were still a fair number of them. And you're very specific about where you like things to be. Well, I think there's a, a, a sometimes there is a, a first of all, it, it it takes a good piece of sculpture, and then it takes this um, a place. And when you put them together in the right place, it, they resonate in a new way. I really believe that. But we have this kind of welcome home piece of sculpture, which is an abstracted, uh, quite abstract, uh, standing stone figure. And uh, that is right in my herb garden, right outside my door. And I think it's a good place to put a piece of sculpture where someone is knocking on the door and they wait. And that's their there's the spot where they can contemplate their setting and it's it really is our welcome home piece and then I have a piece at the end of my driveway that's just a uh, it's a big abstract by Gary Haven Smith I have a place piece on the landscape that brings my attention out uh, from my home out to a focal point setting on the landscape and so I do think that there are, I, when I go to someone's house and think about where they might play sculpture, I sit at their desk, I stand at their kitchen sink, and I sit in their favorite chair and um, look out the window. And that's where one might place a piece of sculpture. Bill, you've worked with the Nature Conservancy for many years, so your idea about the power of place is probably fairly significant as well. Well, yeah, the Nature Conservancy, of course, is known as an organization that protects places. Um, and it has a proud history in Maine and, and really uh, across the world. Your, your listeners might be interested to know that the biggest programs of the Nature Conservancy outside of the U.S. are in places like China and Brazil. Um, so we really are a global organization that is working across the planet because, frankly, things like climate change don't know boundaries. Uh, and we think that the kinds of experience and history and tools that the Nature Conservancy honed and developed here in uh, Maine and elsewhere uh, in the United States are, have relevance everywhere. And one of the things I'm doing right now is starting a program in India for the Nature Conservancy. So that's all a brave new world, but if you care about the world, there's really almost no way you can be successful in saving the environment unless you work in places like India and China because 
that's 40% of the people on Earth. Um, and so their sustainability has everything to do with our sustainability uh, here, in, here in Maine. So, you know, I, I certainly um, fell in love with the environment here in Maine, but I have come to greatly appreciate the vast complexity and diversity of the world's environment and how important that is to, uh, to all of us. So that's, that's how I have migrated, I guess, from being place-based, focused on Maine, uh, to being thinking about the world and how it can um, be sustainable because we have to figure out how to do that in a world with seven billion people today and you know nine or ten billion people in the future and um, how we do that will have everything to do with the quality of life of the future. I was somewhat discouraged by our political climate and uh, this last year and I decided that I would have the sculpture show at our home be called Embracing Earth and that I would have a series of maple tree talks that would be looking at the art of sustainable living as well as the art that sustains us. And so we've had this series um, where David Colson came and did a um, a talk on organic gardening and answered people's gardening questions. I have my Qigong instructor coming and doing a Qigong class. I uh, have the, um, we're going to have this solar, going solar in Maine talk because I just feel as though we need to be doing everything we can do. Um, and my, my, uh, my byline here is living well where we are, celebrating beauty, supporting creativity with attentive and thoughtful living, and making choices as if our grandchildren's lives depend on it. That's a good byline. I like it. I, I, I'm wondering, there were a lot of back to the landers at one point, and now you're still here, and a lot of the other ones are not here anymore. How have you maintained this energy? And and made it really a positive energy that's kind of propelled you forward during all these years? Well, I mean, I think uh, we've just tried to be conscious about how we live, um, you know, because we are connected to the rest of the world. Um, so we're not, we're not hiding in the backwoods, uh, you know. Any given day you might find me, you know, in some faraway place on, on, on Earth. So we're very much part of the world, but I think it does resonate to take care of your own garden to take care of your own place on on earth so for us it's the it's the the fact that we are outside and global in our daily living makes it really important to be outside and local in our daily living as well so for us it's what keeps us sane and happy and uh, and fulfilled and I think people are it's interesting I mean we certainly don't necessarily see the big waves of people you know putting up a log cabin in the woods that maybe happened in the 70s, but I think that there's an enormous consciousness about uh, food. Um, the, you know, we have for the first time in Maine had more farmers uh, this past year than we've had in the previous year, so reversing a long decline. Uh, the growth of uh, farmers markets, bakeries, um, processed foods, you know, custom cheeses and local uh, you know, bakery goods, all those things, you know, point to, I think, this deep yearning that people have to um, be in Maine, 
be connected to their environment, uh, earn a living in new ways um, that um, are sustainable. And so I think our journey really is one of um, how do you live well here in Maine and earn a living? Uh, in June's case, it's been through the arts. In, in my case, it's been first through my company, which was one of the first uh, big recycling companies in um, New England, which I sold back in the 1990s and then now back working for a conservation organization like the Nature Conservancy. So it's been a journey of, of, uh, of trying to make a living here um, and to do it in a way that contributes to our economy, but also is one that is, is global and not parochial. And you know, so many of these artists are living close to the land. They're doing, they're following their passion. They're creating uh, great work and there are patrons who are supporting that work and allowing them to continue to create. And, uh, we have many, many friends who are growing their own food, have built their own homes, you know, th so there's, there is that and, uh, in, in Maine, all around us. Is there also a, a deep yearning for art, for beauty? I think so. I mean, look, I mean, Maine has always been a place where the arts have thrived. Uh, you know, start. let's start back uh, with the red paint Indians mm -hmm. and the pictographs on the rocks in Machias, for example. An amazing, you know, beautiful um, uh, examples of, of primitive art, but one that obviously deep, was deeply felt. And now through Winslow Homer, through the Zorax, through all the history of people who have been deeply influenced and connected uh, to Maine and its environment. So Maine and the arts and its environment are completely inseparable. People have come here for inspiration um, for, for uh, forever. And, and I don't think that's changing. In fact, I think it's deepening. Uh, if you ask, well, what, you know, if we build a new economy for Maine, what what is the you know what is the future i think you have to say it's in the creative economy you know it's sadly it's not in the pulp and paper industry those mills are are gone or in the decline it's not in making shoes you know our the capital going forward is a different way of using our natural resources for sustainability we could be the breadbasket for new england here uh, in maine we have the land we have the resources um, and we have the people who care about those issues. Um, we spend a, f a fair portion of our summers uh, along the coast of Maine where, you know, the lobster industry still thrives. There are 14 year-round islands that are not connected to the mainland that have thriving populations that depend on uh, how we steward our natural resources. So art and uh, the environment and living in Maine are so tied together and have been for 7,000 years. I'm assuming you have thoughts on this as well, given your um, significant connection to art. Well, and I, art I have a sense that um, um, art has, uh, certainly sculpture has ancient roots. Um, and, and, um, and it's actually, it's the same role that sculpture has in our lives today. It is to celebrate beauty. It's to, uh, to, uh, uh, it's the sensual kind of appreciation of form and uh, it's uh, revealing something about our inner nature. 
I think um, art has always given heart to environmental issues, and um, and it's uh, you know, and it, it really does empower uh, each individual who lives with art and creates art. It empowers them. Tell me about your house um, off the coast of Maine. We've talked about your house that's in the woods. Tell me about your island home. Well, we we had the good fortune um, to buy a property on an island in Penobscot Bay um, called Eagle Island, and um, it's a wonderful island that still has a year-round population of only a few people, but a, a family that's lived there for over 200 years. Some of the very first settlers on the on the main coast, and um, so we. When we first uh, thought about building a place, I mean, June lived for an entire summer in a tent uh, on the shore, just trying to think about where we would like to build a house uh, with our two little kids at the time. And um, one of the choices, obviously, when you build a house and you're on an island and not connected to the mainland is how, where does your energy come from? Historically, a lot of people would you know, have a gas refrigerator, for example, and gas lights. Um, and we thought about that and we thought, wow, that is, that's not really a great answer to be lugging cylinders of propane you know, on boats across the world. And so we decided that we would explore what was then a very nascent industry, uh, photovoltaic um, solar. Um, and so we put our first system of, now we, I mean, we're sort of in our third generation of solar systems on this house because technology has gotten so much better and people want more energy, by the way. You know, no one had ever heard of a cell phone or a laptop uh, when we everyone first went there. Everyone comes to visit and plugs now in. Now everyone comes and they want to plug in. So you need, you need a system to do it. So for 25 years, we've been running all of our refrigeration, all of our communications, electricity, uh, lights, um, using photovoltaic system. And we've probably run our generator. We have a generator, but we've probably run it maybe, I don't know, one or two times in the last 10 years. Right. I'm not even sure it would start uh, because the system is so reliable and you know it has no moving parts. Bill and I designed this house on a napkin and we designed it to really um, relate to the land and, um, and it was built with solar power. The, uh, the, uh, the carpenters put a, uh, um, a solar collector on top of a garden way cart and filled the garden way cart with batteries and plugged into the solar collectors in order to run all their equipment. So there was there was never even a generator. It was built with solar power, and it's worked for this for these last years. One of the things that's interesting is that you know when we first hooked our first refrigerator up, we had to go to California to get this really fancy, incredibly expensive. Uh, refrigerator that used a tiny, tiny amount of electricity compared to the refrigerators that you could buy then. Now, today, just about any GE refrigerator meets the same standard. Uh, and so that's a wonderful thing, right? Now we, we see rather than just these little niche things that um, you can, you know, uh, you can have to go far away places to buy, now you can get an energy efficient refrigerator right off the shelf that will work great with uh, solar systems. So, so we've seen a lot of things change, um, systems get better um, and more reliable and a lot of the energy use has rather than getting more 
demanding has become less demanding uh, over the years. So people should take heart by that kind of evolution. And um, so 25 years, we've made, made it work. We've made a lot of improvements. And today it's just as relevant and even better than it was 25 years ago when we started. The house is a weathered shingle gray house, shingled roof, and the solar collectors are on a block and they're very, they're quite aesthetic. You don't see the collectors from the, the shore or coming up along the trails, but they're, you know, they're, they're, uh, you know, they're aesthetically pleasing. They're not uh, um, in any way not, and they have, have created our power for the last 25 years. And you also have solar panels in, at your farmhouse. Yep. So, I mean, obviously it was uh, sort of odd that we had the solar system on our island home, but we'd never done anything on our house in Pownall. We had this old historic cape. So we spent a long time trying to make it more energy efficient and put new windows in, and uh, we put a pellet furnace in to replace uh, oil. Um, and and but we hadn't addressed the electric issue. So about uh, four years ago, we finally took the plunge and put in a system that Revision Energy helped spec for us that provides all of our power for our, our and more. house. And more, in fact, one of the things about net metering is that you kind of accumulate in your bank account your excess power and you can keep it for a year. Uh, and we have about 4,000 kilowatt hours of excess power in our bank right now. I've ordered an electric car. Yeah, we need, we need to have more uses for electricity, frankly, because our, our system has been so productive and so effective in delivering energy. And this is just the beginning of what's ahead of us. Um, you know, there's so many advances in batteries, in demand management, in new ways of, of using solar that we're going to see in the future just profound changes that are going to make it really exciting for a main and it's going to change how we think about energy. As you approach our old farmhouse you had never, that was built in the 1850s, you'd never think that it was all solar and, um, and we have fans going all the time that are keeping our horses cool and keeping the bugs from our old horses standing up in the barn. We have electric heaters um, under our peacock and uh, peahen uh, waterers all through the winter, uh, so they're drinking warm and unfrozen water. Um, and, but it's, it's, a, it's a great system. It's a beautiful system, and, it's, uh, and again, it works. People who are interested in um, seeing your solar can actually go to your farm and experience the sculptures um, mm -hmm. by appointment, of course, mm -hmm. through the fall. And I encourage people to do that because having been out there, it really is a, it's a lovely spot um, for lots of different reasons. The sculptures and the, the gardens and the revisions that you've made to your property. It's, it's really very beautiful. If people are interested in seeing the work that you've done with sculpture um, in a larger exhibition, then they can go to the Loud Home Farm at the Wells Reserve through October. And of course, um, we will have an article about you in Maine Magazine and all the wonderful things that you're doing. I really appreciate your coming in and talking with us today. I've been speaking with June Lacombe, who is an independent arts consultant specializing in New England sculpture and her husband, Bill Ginn, who is the Executive Vice President of the Nature Conservancy. Thanks so much for coming in today. Thank you. Pleasure to be here.
Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by Maine Magazine, Aristel, Portland Art Gallery, and Art Collector Maine. Audio production and original music are by Spencer Albee. Our editorial producers are Paul Koenig and Brittany Cost. Our assistant producer is Shelby Wasik. Our community development manager is Casey Lovejoy. And our executive producers are Kevin Thomas, Rebecca Falzano, and Dr. Lisa Belisle. For more information on our production team, Maine Magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, please visit us at lovemainradio.com.